taking over Trumpy Pig. Trumpy Pig. The future is pig. One, two, one, two, one, two. You you bought it not knowing it was a Trumpy Pig? Um, I I bought it because I liked the fact it was a little pig. Didn't know it did what it did, but that has enhanced the purchase. It's enhanced your enjoyment of the... Yeah, Primrose doesn't care less, but I really like it. But you, you are a fan of Trumpy Pig. Well, how can you not be a fan of... I grew up with Blackadder, Bottom, uh, the young ones. Trumping is an essential element of humour in my life. Is it the I, trumpet, I still carry it out every day. Is it the trump itself that you enjoy, or is it the anticipation of the trump? Mm. And it, but it's, you never know when it's going to arrive, Steve. That's the beauty. It's, it could be after five seconds, it could be seven, could be seven and a half seconds. Uh, could, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Grandfatherhood has really changed your life. For the better? No, it's changed it. Yeah. It's gone downhill, hasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Do you remember the last time we did a podcast without Ferris? Uh, no, but it was a really glorious day, remember? wasn't it? It's it a was a great day. How we had a really nice time, and then we all we, did we all go out for lunch afterwards? Just we were having such fun in each other's mm. company, and it just felt like a better dynamic. And then I think mm. we did we spent all afternoon together as well. We maybe had a sleep. He just never stopped smiling. Just if I remember, no. yeah. He, he yeah. hasn't quite been able to give up the reins of control completely. Oh, no. what's, he, what's he? You're not wearing his underpants. Well, he's, he's effectively written the oh. script oh. and made an awful lot of the decisions, as though he can't. He, micro, you know that sort of maniacal mm. micromanager that he is. Oh, he he very, still, much, very much regards himself as the executive producer, yeah. doesn't he? So he's he's here in in spirit, if not in body. So you, you, with him sending this script or whatever, we, we we've had to go along with it just to keep him sweet. Because if we just said, "Yeah, we're going to use it," then didn't would he be very unhappy? He will download, he will listen, oh, and no. he will judge us. And well, he good. will that's hold it against us for a long, long time. I checked the, um, the iTunes chart the other day. We are not in the top 200. I'm not sure we're in the top 200 of podcasts called Set Piece Menu. <laughs> what? To be honest. We have a very dedicated and loyal band of listeners, Rory. We don't, we need, don't need to judge ourselves by the, the fluctuations of the iTunes chart. Our estate agent words for small, that's aren't they? Small. Loyal and... What was the one? Dedicated. It's like when they call it cosy. It's like when they call it cosy, isn't it? Well, this is what a house. It's a very cosy apartment. So we're a co- we're a cosy podcast. We are an overpriced one and a half bedroom with a box room apartment. That's what we are. Alternatively, up and coming. Could be up and coming. Could be there's a lot of street crime. Get in now, and you'll feel the benefits later on. <laughs> How can you be up and coming when we've done like 194 podcasts? That's if we're not, if we've not. Come up by now. We, we could have a problem here. We, we are going nowhere. So, <laughs> are we are we in danger of being the Wally Range of podcasts? We're a podcast treading water in the deep end. We're a podcast. What we're doing? We're a podcast on the ring road. That's what we are. Forever about to <laughs> forever about to merge into Chilton in terms of being bijou, but never quite getting there. Hello, this is Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. The food. Well, we are at Chinches, and we are at Chinches considerably earlier on in the day than we would normally convene for an edition of Set Piece Menu. So coffee has been made, pastries have been produced, and unlike a couple of weeks ago when we were at Hughes at a similar time of day, mm. it has been deemed suitable time to be consuming food. Yeah, well, kind yeah. of breakfasty food, kind of Danishes and stuff. And we played a bit of coffee roulette as well because we tend to chuck all our coffee pods. I know you're not a big fan of coffee pods, are you, Rory? But no. I just mix them all up and you've got what you've got. So whether your coffee's tasty or not, it's just, that's just the way it goes. They pretty much all the George Clooney endorsed coffee products all pretty much taste the same to me. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah, all the flavors. They're no, they, all the no same. they don't. That's not true, though, is they it? They are all the same. They're not. They are. They're not all the same. Katie, got, not. Katie got into a conversation with the the guy at the concession in uh, in John Lewis the other day about the new coffee pods they had available, mm. and it went on for considerably longer than was necessary. Don't engage with those people. Just purchase and leave. What was the thrust of the conversation? Some kind of like, well, this one's from Costa Rica. You know, it's been double roasted, served upside down, you know, that kind of nonsense. I really don't But it's, it's tempting you in, though, isn't it? You really want that coffee when you hear it's Costa Rican and it's gone through the bowels of a, of a, of a no, goat. No, we don't want... We've established this, established this with Ferris. We don't want coffee that's been through the bowels of anything. We don't, or you don't. Any, but no. Nobody does. Nobody. I, I do. I think I do. No, you don't, Jim. Maybe that's been a grandfather. I don't in know. In fact, that was the last time we were without Hugh when he was sourcing coffee that had been yeah. processed through the bowels of a cat. I'm really excited to see what he brings back from London. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, with me, Stephen Wyeth, are Rory Smith, a football writer who could have justified to his bosses at the New York Times a need to be in Madrid and Paris for the Champions League last 16, but 
inexplicably didn't. And Andy Hinchcliffe, a pundit who could have justified telling Sky Sports to do one when they put a trip to Norwich on his schedule, <laughs> but inexplicably didn't. Two trips to Norwich within the space of five days. How about that? I'm surprised you can get there and back in but, time. You might as well just set up camping but and travel lodge. This time of year, the A14 is just a delight. It really is. At 70 miles an hour, it is delightful. The A14? Mm. No, it isn't. This is, this, is, this is too parochial, even by our standards. I drove the A14 not long ago, Chinch, and it was at a standstill. Well, that's the, if you're on the move, it's a very different piece of highway. It is. This is, this is the stuff we actually talked about off air. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this, I don't know how this is getting in. Uh, no Hugh Ferris, maybe this is getting in because no Hugh Ferris today. He went to London a few days ago and hasn't returned. So uh, if you see a man in his very late 30s in the vicinity of Oxford Circus mumbling about feeding his cats and getting the supermarket shop done before Gemma comes home, please point him in the direction <laughs> of Euston Station. Uh, you can get in touch, as always. Thank you for your correspondence. At Set Piece Menu is our Twitter handle. SetpieceMenu at gmail.com is our email address. And we are on Facebook to www.facebook.com slash setpiecemenu. Uh, Ed is here as well, by the way, today. Primrose 2, they've been introduced. The, the dowries have been exchanged already, have they? I mean, there seems to be some, some sort of negotiations going on already about uh, a future life together for the two 18-month-old children of the pod. I think they've made a handsome couple. And what the, the families, the amalgamation of the families would oh, be... Imagine. Oh, just imagine. imagine. What, it'd be incredible, wouldn't it? It really would. The gene pool there is extraordinarily good. Oh. Whittington Smith Hinchcliffs. <laughs> Could be the new power... You, would, you wouldn't power, get that name on a football show, family would you? of South Manchester. We have had a significant response to last week's episode about football and how much you watch it on TV. Uh, more on that in a moment. But let's start with this from Brian Markovitz. Hi, Hugh and gang. Thanks for your recent discussions of the best birthday 11. It gave me something to do on a very dull day at work. Unfortunately, as a millennial, I was not readily able to identify many more players than Mirko Vucinic and Ricardo Vazte, who were born on my date of birth, the 1st of October. Happily, however, this uh, doesn't seem to be too big a problem as the Liberian president, George Weyer, was also born on that date and his team the way all stars are undefeated uh, with the man himself claiming that opponents are afraid to tackle him because I'm the best dribbler and if they try they will dislocate some of their body I'm very fancy so bring on the February 5th All-Stars because they won't tackle his excellency that is from Brian in Washington DC hang on is that a direct quote from yeah apparently George Weyer. Yeah, because he's got this sort of all-star 11, which, of which he is, of course, the superstar player. But because of his status and because he's the president, nobody bothers tackling him. So it's a bit like when Vladimir Putin plays ice hockey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the, the, the Lion King, not the Lion King, the Lion King in bed knobs and broomsticks when they play the football match. Yes. He's got to be the best player and his team has to win. Excellent historical analogy. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Manish Garam writes to say, Hello, set-piece menu. I want to say I really enjoyed Andy Hinchcliffe's commentary during the Liverpool-Watford game. Get it. There is a huge contrast to the way Andy speaks on the pod versus his commentary. Also, when are we getting to the 100th episode? Have a nice day, Manish. If I spoke in commentary like I do on the pod, I would be sacked. But why, when you're doing commentary, do you do that Irish accent? It isn't an Irish accent. It's South African. <laughs> trying to be a bit of flavour. It's, it's what the Liverpool supporters watching on, the Watford fans watching on, they, they want a bit of flavour. They just want me, don't want me speaking Mancunian. No, that's true. I, I am thinking of every ten minutes changing the accent just to freshen things up, but Sky, not really going for it so far. It's like Ronnie O'Sullivan, the snooker player, who did an entire interview in Australian the other day, didn't he? Really? Yeah. You mm. should try that, Chinch. See, we're all trying it. Yeah, diversify. Yeah. All right, here's what you had to say about football, terrestrial TV, streaming and subscriptions. And uh, the three of you deserve great credit for getting through that pod uh, with such accomplishment, bearing in mind that 50% of your knowledge on the subject was absent with me. Hello, this is from Tywin, who is in Toronto, Canada. And as you might know, uh, I might have already uh, deemed from the name and the location. He is a Welshman slash Canadian. I have always enjoyed the plethora of football viewing options we have here in Canada, especially especially in comparison to the UK. Growing up, I was able to watch every Premier League, Serie A, Champions League and El Clasico match at the minimum on basic cable. This is a paid service, but was quite affordable. And if you wanted truly free choices, you could still watch the biggest games for free on the two main sports channels, TSN and Sportsnet. 
Since then, different leagues have been picked up by different companies and the situation has become ridiculous, with the fragmented options this season being horrible for consumers, as most, like myself, can't afford four separate subscriptions. This has led to a significant rise in illegal streaming, as almost everyone I know is faced with a choice between watching at a pub or illegally streaming at home if they wish, wish to watch any Champions League match. Next season, however, Dazone will have exclusive rights to the Premier League and the Champions League, as well as partial rights to La Liga. To me, this is progress, as I will happily pay the 150 Canadian dollars, which is around about £85, in one place to be able to watch as much football as I want. Uh, paraphrasing, I think it's fair to say Tywin Thomas in Toronto, uh, basically wondering if monopolising football on TV is something that needs to be encouraged, which, of course, Chinch, is something that your employers once had. It is tricky, of course, it's the foreign countries with the games that they want. If they don't have, a, I presume, does Canada have a domestic league? It's a relatively new thing. I think they do yeah. have teams that play in MLS, don't they? I think there is a. Do, I should really know this. I think there is a domestic league, but the, the the highest profile Canadian football would be the team, the Whitecaps, Montreal Impact, and Toronto. Yeah. In, in but MLS. then, still, in terms of the football, they the Premier League or, or kind of European football, Champions League. If you want to watch that, then, then clearly you're bound by. All, all, all you can do at the moment is maybe some of that illegal subscriptions or you know watching illegally but that, if that's the only way to do it at the moment they're kind of stuck with it it might change presumably it might change in the future and Matt Spicer our friend from Melbourne has been in touch hello Steve and others listening to episode 119 makes me incredibly grateful of the access we have here in Australia Optus which is uh, majorly a phone company have acquired the rights for all the Premier League Champions League and Europa League my mate and his wife got a subscription and they gave me their spare set top box so I don't pay for it we also have a newly founded streaming service called KO. It's made by Foxtel, who is our version of Sky. Uh, that costs 35 Australian dollars a month, which is around about £19 for three logins. So I've split it with two mates. In that, we get all A-League matches, most Bundesliga, Serie A, Liga, La Liga, Major League Soccer and the Championship. I sometimes find myself overwhelmed because I have so much easy access to watch global football from a gloating mat in Melbourne. That's a really important point. That, that and I don't, I can't remember if we made it last week. But the more, you, the more kind of paperwork you make people jump through, the less likely they're going to do it. And something's going to give. And I think that's true whether it's football or whether it's kind of Netflix, Amazon Prime, all this, all the other stuff. There's a limit to how much time people have got, and almost also how much money people are prepared to to put towards something like TV or, for for example, just off the top of my head, reading newspapers. So. Having it all in one place does make sense to me. And the one thing that I... The other thing that I think is really important, I had a conversation with someone from La Liga in, in response to our podcast. The other thing I think is really important is... La Liga have been on, have they? Have they La, taken inspiration from the discussion? La Liga have... have, have no, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say listen to what we said, but they, they are aware of what we said and they thought it was interesting. The, thing, the, the conclusion that we reach is that highlights is, is, is a really underexplored thing because... People don't have a load of money to chuck at loads of subscriptions. People don't have a load of time to watch football, to be perfectly honest, because a football match is quite, is quite a long commitment. Mm. Highlights have an incredible importance, and it, that's a way that I wonder if Leeds might see a way of attracting an audience through giving free-to-air highlight shows, yeah. and then you make the premium content, the games themselves, the best games, available on, on pay TV. And I think that's something the Champions League suffered from, is not having highlights on ITV. And... I wonder whether it's interesting that what people remember from in the UK from the 90s isn't the live games of Serie A, it's yeah. Gazetta, which, yeah, yeah. which which is the thing that people nostalgicise about and people get really romantic about. That was the highlight show, it was the magazine show. That format feels underexplored to me in football as a way of conveying to people the basis of the action without actually having to pay a huge amount of. Yeah. Of money and if you've got time constraints, yeah. would you rather know what the weekend's football has given you across the board, or we can only tune into two games? You're not going to get the rest of it. Although, having said that, anyone who's ever watched the Bundesliga highlights program on BT Sport, and I do not want to criticise your employers, Steve, but that is a, it's produced by the Bundesliga. Yeah, you can't criticise my employers for that because it's, it's a world feed production, which, is, I, which is simply just um, broadcast on BT. Excellent sidestep, Steve. I have told the Bundesliga, who, with whom I get on very well, that they need to do a proper. Magazine yeah. show does it, it that that is not an adequate advert for their product. Oh, it's better than the the Italian one. I don't know if, I don't know if that one's still running, but the Italian one a couple of years ago 
was just loads of weird camera angles. It was impossible to know what the score in each game was. Uh, Do better magazine shows, everybody. Many of the leagues around Europe have spent time with the Premier League at Stockley Park in West London, finding out what they do and why they do it so well and why the Premier League product is so popular around the world. Chinch is the answer. Well, that is one of the big reasons for it. But obviously, a lot of it comes down to the production quality. The, 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 The high standards that are set... For, for the global broadcast on Premier League football is one of the reasons that, that, that it is so popular around the world because it's so accessible, it's so easy to watch and, and, and the standards are high so people stay with it which is something you guys were talking about last week in terms of you know, high production values being a way of keeping people engaged in the content yeah. that you're producing around the game. Yeah. The other thing that I didn't get a chance to say because I wasn't here last week in relation to, to engaging people more with those European leagues that are available across many different platforms in the UK is that maybe something like what Sky do with Now TV in terms of that weekend pass. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, if you really love your Italian football, you might be willing to pay £10 a month to somebody to have access to that content. But it could be that you just want to be able to watch the, the Milan derby or the Derby d'Italia between Juventus and Inter every so often. So perhaps an option where you can opt-in for the occasional weekend for a fiver here or a fiver there might be the, might be a way of getting more of your content out to more people. Uh, before we move on, our next contributor uh, with something of a confession. Dear set-piece menu, after Rory's discussion of illegal streaming, I felt it might be useful to give the perspective of a young person who regularly streams games illegally. I have legitimate means to access both BT Sport and Sky Sports through my parents' TV package offering access to online streams whilst I live away at university. I spend a lot of time watching football and will pretty much watch any Premier League or Champions League game that is on with some Championship, Bundesliga and Serie A thrown in too. However, on many occasions I will choose to watch illegal streams rather than the legitimate streams that I have access to because they tend to be quicker to get up and running due to the inconvenient need to keep logging in and navigating the legitimate websites. In cases where it is a big game being shown, the illegal streams will often be of better quality and more reliable than the legitimate methods. They also provide the advantage of choosing the international broadcast if I don't want to have to listen to co-commentators that detract from the experience such as Robbie Savage. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, I thought I was leading up horribly. Was, was, was the pause enough to lull you into to where you thought I might be going? I thought it absolutely has to be me, the way that you were leading up to that. <laughs> a big fan of the podcast. Keep up the good work, Finton. I would suggest that's a rather unique case because he's effectively saying his parents have got subscriptions so he can therefore access them via his iPad or yeah, whatever yeah. at university, but he's finding the login process a little bit tedious, so let's go to <laughs> an illegal... I mean, I, I, I think you're not going to be watching an illegal stream if you've got access to it on a television at home. Well, so I, uh, we went to visit one of Kate's cousins, of whom I should say legally there are many, just to prevent him being <laughs> identified. Who, they've got a new baby the other week. That and is narrowing it down a little. The, yes, that is true, actually. They might have a new baby. Anyway. Called Agamemnon. <laughs> Called? No. No. No, Agamemnon is, is what Edward is going, Edward's sibling is going to be called, ah, if there is a sibling. Mm. Anyway, they... Their, their, their dad has a, has a BT subscription, on a Sky Sports subscription, uh, and they use his, his login, as does Kate's other cousin, and they have to kind of... What's the word? They have to kind of um, coordinate so that they don't knock each other off the subscription, because you, you can only carry so many devices yeah, at once. exactly, yeah. So I think there probably are quite a lot of people who are using family logins for Sky, for BT, as there are for Netflix, and you, you, you know that you're... Your kind of your password and your login is going to be shared out a certain amount to other people. I find it surprising that that the login process for any of those things is harder than scouring for a stream that might collapse at any moment. But then, as, as we said last week, uh, you missed this, Steve. It was a fascinating. No, I, but I listened. Uh, I'm not young, so I, it may be that if you're more native to that technology, it's easier to kind of to kind of navigate that that whole that whole world than it is if you're not. I I think that. As the risk is that as, anti, as, the, as the, the anti-piracy technology gets better, we know this is something the Premier League is spending a load of money on. They're kind of the world leaders in mm. it. The, the NFL go to them for advice and, and all that. We, we know that the likelihood is the streams are going, get, are going to get cut down more frequently. So I don't, I don't know if, if, elite, if illegal streaming is, is always going to be as easy as it is now. And even if it is, there's always a way that people will try and find... To get, tr- people always try and find ways to get something for free. 
the more important discussion, I guess, is is what is what will the legitimate sources do to try and maximise their yeah. their impact to to <coughs> disincentivise using illegal streams. Right, well, whilst Ed finishes trying to demolish Chinch's house, uh, we shall move on. There's plenty more that we could discuss regarding uh, last week's podcast, but uh, time constraints against us. Chinch has to get wheels turning on the road sooner rather than later. Uh, so we shall follow up further next week at Set Piece Menu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. But our subject this week was suggested by Rory, a displaced Yorkshireman from South Manchester, who asks... Why has the Champions League gone nuts? Well, to, to take a break from Man Martin rather than Zonal Martin, my son, there is, there, is no, there is no other way of doing it. You cannot go Zonal on a toddler. <laughs> They're going to get away from you. They are, they are, they are yeah, they are. There is no other way of describing it. They yep. will get away from you. Uh, and they will try and destroy your picture frames, Chinch. Mm, That's mm. basically what he seems to be deciding is the best game in the house. So this week, the week we're, rec- we're recording, we saw Manchester United become the first team ever to lose a home first leg 2-0 and then get through, yeah. with a 94th-minute penalty from Marcus Rashford that was decided by VAR. Mm-hmm. It was great drama. Mm-hmm. The previous night, uh, as Steve mentioned, at the top of the show, mm. uh, another game that I, I could have said I wanted to do, but decided not to because I thought it was over, Ajax won 4-1 at the Bernabeu to put Real Madrid, the three-time winners in a row, out. Potentially, by the time people listen to this, Atletico and Juventus could have had some sort of ridiculous denouement. Um, Liverpool Bayern is, is at least sort of relatively well poised anyway after the first leg. But this is, this is a pattern. This is something we, we have seen more and more recently. Last year, Barcelona won 4-1 four, four in their quarter-final against Roma. Everyone thought, right, that's done. Roma won 3-0 in the second leg. Uh, Liverpool produced a variety of ridiculous straws. Yeah, well, they, they beat year. City five. Yeah, it wasn't a, a game that, that ebbed and flowed, or a tie that ebbed and flowed, but it was certainly an unpredictable scoreline. I don't think we'd have seen Liverpool beat City 5-1 over two legs of a domestic game. No, absolutely not. And then you, you also had last year uh, Real Madrid going to the, to the, the Allianz Stadium in Turin, uh, winning 3-0. Ronaldo scored that overhead kick, of course. Uh, the overhead kick that convinced him to sign for Juventus, it turned out. And we all assumed, right, that, that interesting tie is done after the first leg, aren't Real good? They then lost, they, they, they went 3-0 down at home mm. to Juventus in the second leg and came basically within a whisper of going to extra time, potentially penalties, before Medi Benatia bafflingly committed a foul, very soft foul, in the penalty area. There have been loads of other examples. This has become... Liverpool-Roma in the semi-finals Liverpool-Roma, but, last season. But before fun. that, the... the Bayern and Dortmund destroying Barca and Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Real Madrid destroying Bayern 4-0. Monaco 6, City 6 over yeah. two on, legs. On, uh, Monaco on going through on away year. goals. Yeah. There, was, there, there was a time that the Champions League was a competition marked by caution and caginess. Yeah. And incredibly tight, tense games of, of not, necessarily, not necessarily kind of aesthetic quality, but very high technical quality. And it has, in the last, I'd say, five or six years, become completely insane. It feels more like a, the knockout rounds now, uh, you can't take your eyes off them. I, I genuinely, as a journalist, regret thinking, I won't go to, I have to ration how much I travel to an extent, because obviously I have domestic commitments that are being uh, fairly vocal at the moment and currently trying to get out of Chinch's house. Uh, he's, he's spotting all your weak spots in your security. That's what he's he, doing. He, he won't find the panic room, don't worry. The, um, is that what you call it? The, <laughs> the, um, so I, th- I thought, right, I won't do Madrid and Paris because those games look finished. I made that call. You fool. And instead I'll do Turin and Barcelona for, Ju- for Juve and, and Barcelona. Oh, you mistake. won't make that mistake again next well, season, no, but will you? This now proves my theory, the, my motto for life, which I'm going to have to reintroduce, which is you should never not go to a football match. Well, look, Chinch, why are we now seeing this chaos? What's well, happened this... over the course of... What's, what's happened tactically or in terms of quality well, this, over yeah, the last yeah. two or three seasons yeah. to lead us to this path where we're getting tied between supposedly brilliant sides that are finishing 7-6 as Liverpool-Roma did, 6-6 as Monaco City did, or 6-5 as that one that we haven't mentioned yet, Barcelona-PSG it, isn't this Isn't this what we want? OK, unpredictability presumably means a, a lack of quality, but... The, these ties, as Rory said, going back 10 years, the, it was so predictable. Paris Saint-Germain winning 2-0 at Old Trafford. It, it was over, and we all knew that, and that's why we fell into the trap of maybe Rory did I don't need to travel because that's the way it's going to... And things have started to change. So whether it is a, a lack of quality, maybe teams are playing it a bit more like cup matches, but isn't that what we want from the Champions League? Because I always tend to think the domestic leagues across Europe 
were far more interesting. And watching the Champions League, yes, it was like a, ta- a tactical masterclass, but you always tended to know what was going to happen. Now we don't seem to be in that position anymore where anything for any club can genuinely happen. So for a, a viewer, for a neutral, isn't that, is that what the Champions League wants? Or does it want to elevate itself and say, well, we are the cream here. Um, the, the football that these teams play is very different from the domestic leagues. We've got the best of those teams from the domestic leagues. So their games uh, against each other should be very different and should be more predictable and should be tactically a lot better than the domestic games. But I'm just really enjoying not knowing what's going to happen. So as a viewer, as a consumer of the Champions League, the drop in quality, if it is simply a drop in quality, is that not a good thing? Is that not what we want? Because we, again, we're going to get different winners or teams going further in the competition because the possibility is there, because everyone's maybe approaching it a different way or the teams simply aren't as good as they were 10 years ago. But Rory, the perfect game finishes nil-nil. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my God, he's, got a, he's, he's brought a... Not a rabbit out of the hat. He's brought a ceramic hair out of the front room. He's like a mini David Copperfield. How on earth has he produced that? If that breaks, Rory, you are dead. Because Mrs. H, that's one of her all-time faves. She has a hair fetish, but not in the way that you're thinking. A a H-A-R-E fetish. And that one, I think his name is... I think that's Beelzebub. We don't want to break Beelzebub because my life would be hell. Rory was, Rory was just about to say something brilliant and then his son appears in the room with what, what looked to be an incredibly precious artifact from Chinch's house. It felt relatively sturdy, <laughs> if I'm honest. This is the problem with my, with my young son who does not like to be controlled. Yeah, the perfect game does end nil-nil. That is uh, a quote that's wrongly attributed to Arido Saki but is actually an Italian manager from the 1930s whose name begins with an F but the rest of it I have forgotten. Uh, I think the Champions League now is the, is the most dramatic, most engaging, most compelling form of football. The knockout stages are ridiculously unpredictable, as you've said. The question, I think, has to be, is that, is that a sign of, of the, quality it's, the quality available? Is it that the margins are so fine that, I mean, I can't believe I didn't mention the Barca PSG one, which is the, the kind of high point of, of all of this. Are the margins so fine that, all it takes is one slight dip, one little bit of complacency, one sense that you might be through, one loss of focus or... Yeah, but for one club, but not for so many. This but that's the, the crazy thing. thing. Well, it's across the board, but isn't is it? That, is that the pattern that went... That because everyone is so finely balanced, because everything is... Is it basically such a high level that one team not quite being at it in some way basically leads to complete explosion? And that's what we're seeing that... That PSG did it against Barcelona. That that Roma did it. That Barcelona did it against Roma. That PSG did it against. It's, it's quite often PSG. Mm. That PSG did it against Man United. That I mean, Real Madrid is one that's, that's easily forgotten. But the year Barca won it in 2015, Real went to Schalke. I think in the quarters or last 16, won the won the first leg 2-1, and then lost at home 4-3 and came within about two minutes yeah. of going out. If 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 Schalke was sort of fifth, mm. and these results have been going on for years, and I just wonder if it's. Because everyone is basically so good that everyone has such good players that if one team isn't quite at it, the ramifications can be really serious in a way that they weren't before. So maybe it is... My temptation is to say, oh, the quality's gone down because teams can't defend and everyone's a bit kind of naive and, and they get exposed... Re- any floor gets yeah. exposed really easily. But maybe that's a sign of quality. Uh, and is it, Chinch, a sign that, as we have seen in the past, I think Sir Alex Ferguson spoke before United eventually won it in... <coughs> 1999 that you know you need a bit of luck you need that nous about the Champions League and it's something that perhaps Manchester City haven't quite got their heads around just yet it's not necessarily the best team each season that wins the Champions League it's the one that's a little bit bolder a little bit braver and has the good fortune along the way and perhaps is that encouraging teams to say when it comes to the Champions League throw caution to the wind fate is not going to be what decides this tie for us we are going to give it everything we've got but does that then change City's approach to how you win the Champions League how you win it maybe 10-15 years ago is one thing if this is the climate now and teams are being a bit more offensive or there are more defensive errors do City then have to think well how we plan to win the Champions League maybe controlling a game and grinding out results and doing what you would think the Champions League was all about is that now does that play into City's hands because they are a front foot team does the current kind of set up the, the way teams are approaching or things are happening in the Champions League play into City's hands or not? I tended to think that why they didn't go as far as they, um, uh, 
they they could have done maybe in years gone by. Yes, other teams were better, but other teams had more experience of playing in the Champions League, knowing what's needed to win the Champions League. Now it seems more like a, a cup competition, which are City best placed with the players that they have, with the way that they approach games? Does that give them more of a chance of winning it if this if this kind of trend continues? I think, well, we are recording this before City should smash Schalke like 5-0, but because it's the Champions League, we'll probably lose 7-2 yes. at home to the team 14th in Germany. But I don't think it changes the style of play, but it, it certainly... Well, it, sh- it must have an impact on kind of how coaches prepare games and what they have to prepare their team for. An awareness from the coaches that if they make a, if they make a tactical error, if they get it wrong, if they get put the wrong left back in, mm-hmm. then they are going to be exposed immediately. And yeah, again, maybe, so maybe that's that's a sign of the quality on show from everybody, even the teams that we think are kind of minnows, plucky minnows like Schalke and and Ajax and Manchester United. These these small clubs without big budgets that that really struggled to keep up with the European elite. Uh, I mean, what's Manchester United's transfer record? It's, it's barely a patch on the £89 million spent by Manchester United. <laughs> there were a couple of things written in the aftermath of United knocking out PSG, though. This was a real shot in the arm for the big spenders of European football like PSG, that, you know, some yeah, yeah, yeah. Un- unexpected outsider can usurp oh, the arm. Plucky underdogs, Manchester well done, United. Manchester United, you've but dug deep. To be fair, I find that ridiculous with any Premier League team. I think the same with Liverpool, that... When they got to the final last year, this kind of oh these these underdogs, they've all got they're all in the top ten most ri- they're all in the top ten richest clubs in the world. These are not underdogs. Yeah. They might not have spent two hundred twenty two million quid on on the, hi- it, the highlight under- of Carnival Neymar, but but is it underdogs in terms of Premier League uh, Champions League it's, pedigree? It's it's a kind of British daring do spirit thing that I think the papers in, impose on any British team basically. There's this Still, that, yeah, I think it it just it, it fits. A, that's a different subject. It's probably a different podcast. It's a, it just fits a narrative that people like. The, but it does show, I think, that any flaw can be exposed by almost any, any team. And United's a great example because it was a team full of kids. But at the same time, there were people like Fred, Luke Shaw, Rashford. You know, these, these, are, these are in this weakened, this so-called weakened team. United had a load of internationals. Oh, yeah. And they were good enough. And it's huge credit to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Oh, hang on. How, how, how are we pronouncing that at the moment? Erledrunner oh. Solskjaer. OGS. OGS. To the Norwegian manager. That he came up with a, with a tactical plan that d- gave them a threat. They got those two early goals. And they kept PSG at bay. And PSG couldn't, couldn't create enough chances or couldn't find an answer to, to get that second goal that probably would have killed the tie. They came close. But that just shows that if you do have one of those nights where your finishing's not quite up to it, you will go out of the Champions League because that's how high the standards are. And I think that is probably what the, what the lesson is. But Steve, I have a question for you. Go on then. Hit me. Away goals rule. The, the away goals rule makes it, makes it better, doesn't it? I knew this would come up. I, I, I still think the away goals rule is nonsense in modern football because you're talking about teams travelling first class, relatively short distances. I don't see that the playing away from home is the handicap Mm. uh, that it once was. And I understand why the away goals rule came into being to try and encourage teams who were in far-flung corners of Europe to go out and try and get something from the game, uh, not to just set up to defend, to get a nil-nil to take back into the the home leg. I can see why when when it was brought into being, it was a good idea. But now, in the latter stages of the Champions League, it's completely nonsense, isn't it? It's Ajax going to Real Madrid. It's Barcelona going to PSG. It's Schalke playing Manchester City. These aren't, these aren't teams finding themselves in unfamiliar surroundings. So my general position remains, away goals rule, nonsensical. But there is a sense it's contributing to the drama. Because not only does it add the layer of jeopardy, but it also gives you a situation that we saw in the Parc de Prince when PSG scored, you just sensible for Manchester United that in, in, in many times in previous years that would have been tie over. Mm. But because of the, the uncertainty that the away goal thing creates, it encourages you to just keep going. You never know what might happen. I suppose looking at United's situation with PSG, people will you look at it and say, well, what other choice did they have? They might as well go down getting beaten 4-0, trying to retrieve the situation. So away yeah, goals probably didn't come games. into their thinking. It's let's just give it everything we've got because no one expects to get through. We're 2-0 down. If we lose this 6-0, it's PSG and United are where they are at the moment. So actually... They probably thought, and lots of sides are probably thinking the same thing. If we lose that home leg, and that's the danger for the home side in the second leg when they've got a lead, is, as Roy said, we, we don't play our natural game because we don't feel we have to take the game to the opposition. The opposition then comes steamrolling you because they've got no choice. 
And if you if they take their chances and you don't, that's why we're having these amazing turnarounds in in the second legs. Which, but ultimately, it boils down to: Are we enjoying the set of circumstances we have now? Is this a better way? Is it a more enjoyable way for the Champions League to be as a, as a consumer of it? I think it it probably is, even if it's hard at times to to feel as though what you're seeing is of the highest quality when you see teams collapse as they do. There is one other factor, actually, that I should mention, which was inspired by Luka Milivojevic, one of your favourite Crystal Palace players. He is, players. he is, yes. Which is, not favourite Premier League players, not just no, Crystal Palace right? players. I'm a big fan of the Mill. The Mill. Uh, El Mill. The, well, he, I remember he, I did a Five Live thing with, on, on which Milivojevic was interviewed ahead of Palace playing City, the game in which, in fact, they beat City. Yes. If you remember. Yeah. And one of the questions he was asked was, I think Leon, it was, must have been after one of the Leon games or relatively, relatively close to one of the Leon games in the Champions League. And one of the questions he was asked was, why could Leon make City look weak at a time when they'd looked so imperious in the Premier League? And I, don't, I think Leon would do well in the Premier League, but I don't think they'd win it or anything. But yeah. what Milivojevic said was, you have to remember that the teams in the Champions League are all used to dominating the game. They, they are all... They all go into every match thinking domestically, we are, we are going to set the template of how this game yeah. plays out. We are the dominant force. Yeah. We are the, the most likely winners. They are the overdogs. It is a competition exclusively made up of overdogs. Mm-hmm. And he said that, what Milivojevic said was that gave Leon confidence when they, do, when they went to City that they, they would have to be assertive because they don't really know any other way of playing. Yeah. The leads in Europe are now so dominated by, by a handful of teams, the same teams every year, that those teams have now spent the last five, six, seven years, ten years, dominating every season, every game. So by the time they, they run into Barcelona in the Champions League, they don't really have a way of saying, oh, we're going to play on the counter-attack now. It's just not, it's not in, their, in their nature. Mm. Which I think is partly to explain, it partly explains why it's become so dramatic, is you have these assertive teams facing each other, but also explains why the, 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 di- the differences between them can prove so massive over 90 minutes or even in some cases over about 15 minutes mm. when one team just seizes the initiative and it's because the, but n- n- it's because the teams don't always know how to play the role of counter-attacker or the team under the cosh it's not something they're really used to because we've seen, we've seen such a massive disparity of success domestically in Europe in the last few years that when they're challenged in, and put in that situation in Europe they're they're lost, effectively. Is there any thought in your mind that the strength of domestic leagues and the, the growing strength of some to the detriment of others is also creating this chaos? And let's use PSG as the example. Are they victims of the, the, the week-in, week-out football that they're playing? Is it, we, we so saw the dominance them, of their own domestic yeah. league is actually counting against them when they're yeah. up against sides who actually can give them a game. We saw them able to raise their game at Old Trafford, but they're not able to do it again in the home game. Is, is it difficult if the standard you're playing week-in, week-out, and I, I don't mean to be disparaging about Ligue 1, but PSG is so far ahead of everybody else in that competition that when they come out up against the very best in European football, they suddenly find themselves facing a challenge that, that is unusual to them. That, that's, well, that's an interesting point, because obviously, again, then you look at, say, the Premier League, and you compare the, the race for the title. You've maybe it is a two-horse race. Maybe you can talk about Tottenham in there as well. But having that competitive domestic league then means that games aren't a foregone conclusion. As Rory was saying, you have to be more flexible. You have to find different ways of approaching because teams within your domestic league will ask you more questions than maybe you'd see in, in Ligue 1. So then when it comes to the Champions League and you're up against a better standard of opposition, you're more used to being able to change your game plan because that's what you have to do domestically. So then it's, you're more accustomed to do it in Europe as well. So having a more competitive domestic league then maybe leads you into having more of a chance of success in the Champions League. In terms of Italy, how is the, the competition? Are Juventus streets ahead in Italy? The, and again, they, the same thing with PSG. If you dominate a league to such a degree, Bayern, the same degree in Germany, if you're so good, does that then complicate how good you can be in the Champions League? I think the situation for Juventus and Bayern is a little bit different in that although they have dominated the, the leagues in terms of winning the titles over the last six or seven years, they are pushed perhaps a little bit harder in terms of that than PSG are. 
But in terms of the competitive nature, is, is this why Tottenham have made it through? Is this why it looks like City are going to make it through? Look, Liverpool could possibly make it through? Because people were, there was a stage when we were looking at the Premier League saying we, we just don't seem able to compete, whatever team it is, whoever manages them, whatever players they have, they don't seem to be able to do the job in the Champions League. Now, it seems as though the tide has turned and the Premier League are now starting to dominate a lot more. Into, is that just purely the quality of players that the Premier League teams have? Or is it, again, because the demands of the domestic league tune you into the demands that you're going to face in the Champions Champions League. It's finding the right balance because sometimes I suppose if your if your domestic league is really highly competitive, then the attritional nature of that might be to your detriment when you get to those midweek Champions League games. So it's it's trying to strike the right balance in terms of your resources. But we also have to presume factor in Real Madrid and not the team that they were with Real. Yeah. So they come. You have to look at the teams individually and say, well, are they as good as the? previous two, three, four seasons. So it's not just saying the Champions League as a whole and tiring everything with the same brush. You have to look at the specific clubs and see whether things have changed in terms of their playing staff, how, how good they are. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's individual factors for each team. And I think that there's... But then certain ones... And PSG are probably better now than they were last year. They've certainly got a better coach, I think, and they've got a, a better system. They've not really strengthened the transfer market, but they're, they're probably stronger. It's, Steve's quite right that the, the strength of the Premier League for a while was a, was a disadvantage to the to the Premier League teams in Europe because it was it's just so draining and we will have to see how how far they all get this year does it it may well be that that they might all make they might all make the quarterfinals or th- three of them certainly will make the quarter, quarterfinals but they might not get that much further you might get one in the semis one in the final something like that so it's not yet it's too early I think to say all oh, the Premier League's back in Europe and certainly when you look at Barcelona having a major lead in in, in La Liga in, in the title race there and even Atletico not, being, not really believing they can catch them that's probably an advantage for both of them in, in the Champions League it means they can switch their resources yeah. and put them into Europe in a way that City can't Liverpool can't and United and Spurs probably can't because they need to be back in the Champions League next season so that is, that's a factor too in terms of the, the English the fact that in, the Premier League has had this weird struggle to be really relevant in the Champions League the last few years um, but I do think that the, the, the way that teams like PSG and, to an extent, Juve and Bayern, as you mentioned, dominate the domestic leagues probably doesn't suit them massively at, when it really comes to the crunch in Europe. When, when, you, you, when you meet another team that is like that, something yeah. has to give, and it seems to give quite spectacularly. But it is very different for the, the Premier League sides in the Champions League compared to Juventus yeah. or Bayern Munich because of the way that the leagues, how competitive the leagues are. So it's getting that balance between the domestic league helping you and tuning you into the Champions League and not hindering you and it being so demanding and game after game is there's no foregone there's no easy game so you're going to have to be on it okay you rotate your squads and everything else but there's still and the way that the teams play as well the high press okay they might dominate the ball but there's a lot of work involved in every single performance isn't there so again is, is it the coaches getting the balance right between yeah, we want to be successful domestically, but we really want to give the Champions League a go. So it's a very fine line. It can quickly, you can tip over and it can, the, the, the competitive domestically can count against you or it can work in your favour. It's just trying to strike that balance. Yeah, and, and as we've seen with Real Madrid winning the Champions League three, three years in succession, it's not necessarily the best team in a domestic league that wins the Champions League. It's possible to finish second, third or fourth domestically and still be crowned champions of Europe. That Real Madrid team is a really good example of kind of what the, the defining characteristic of the Champions League has become because it's probably hard to say that that Real Madrid team looked like likely winners in all three of those years that, that it won all, all four of the five in the last however in, since 2014 there was one I think when they were fairly when they were fairly dominant and it, it didn't really seem like anyone was going to challenge them 2017 the year they beat Juve and also that Real Madrid team is really the word someone in El País used is countercultural. They they don't stand for anything. They don't have a system. They don't have a philosophy. They don't. There's no kind of system behind or process behind their success. It is literally just here are some good players. Let's see if they win games, which is really refreshing and is really fun. Is is actually kind of admirable in a way. It is that an identity of, in itself, though? Well, it that's, is, yeah. that's just their yeah. identity, and it's yeah. and it's it's a really important one because it means that because we can oh, we can talk too much about things like processes and systems and philosophies, but. In this context, it, mean, it reminds you kind of the Champions League is kind of chaos. It is a knockout competition. It doesn't always make sense. The best team doesn't always win it. And the, the rules that you think apply to the rest of the game don't really apply there. So this is good for UEFA? 
this is this is a good competition. This is a better competition than maybe we've had in, in years gone by. I think the fact that we're having this conversation, Shows. which of course will be very much on UEFA's radar, would suggest it is good news okay. for the Champions League. Gentlemen, thank you. Of course, the other fact uh, that contributes to the chaos is that uh, the Champions League knockout stages come at a stage of the season, late into it, lots of injuries, lots of uncertainty uh, concerning player availability. Perhaps we can pick up on that next week. Perhaps you can pick up on that with us. Get in touch via email setpiecemenu at gmail.com or at setpiecemenu on Twitter. Before we go, there is still just about time for Nevermind Jack and Ori. <laughs> what a soccer story. Before he heads off to an important Sky Sports date, this is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Well, we've been talking about the cream of European football with the Champions League. I want to talk... Do, do kids these days still collect stickers for sticker books? I think so, yes. Do you know the, oh, the, yes. Pani, is Panini still... Is that yeah. still... That cost me a fortune during the World I don't Cup mean change. I don't mean hot bread with tuna in it. A Panini sticker... Albums? Do they still hot bread with <laughs> you know? You know what I'm talking about there. But uh, when a, I was, he's a connoisseur of uh, oh, yeah. uh, only tangentially. Do I know cuisine. what you're talking about when you say hot bread with tuna in it? Panini. Um, it was this was it prompted. I, I met Neil McDonald, who was a, a teammate of mine at Everton. He's uh, he's gone into coaching and he's doing a bit of media work. And I saw him at a game at Burnley. And we were talking about co-commentary and everything else. And the thing that always struck me about Neil McDonald is it, it takes me back to the image of me on Panini stickers. And I have a, a rather checkered history with stickers. My face does not look good when you see it. And certainly some of the images they used of me over the years on these stickers. There was one where I'd had a particularly uh, carbohydrate heavy summer. And this picture was taken very early in the season. I'm sure it was at Highbury against Arsenal when I was an Everton player. And I did look a bit chunky. Mm. I did look a bit. My hair was a little bit too long as well. It's it's not a good image. That's the I, that's my primary. The the, the sticker I, I don't like the most is that one. Mm. But there was also a sticker where it had my name on, all these stats and all my credentials on there. But actually, the picture of the player was Neil McDonald. It wasn't actually me. It wasn't actually me. Really? Yes. And this is. And I've never mentioned it to Neil, even though I saw him the other day. But when I saw him, I just saw a big Panini sticker come in. Him kicking a ball with my name underneath. So that shows how well I regarded I was in the... I don't know who the publishers of this of this clearly second-rate sticker album were. They, they didn't get, they oh, didn't yeah, get they, the right they person one, yeah. with the name. Funny enough, Chinch, I, you'd have thought that was basic, getting the right name. Pretty basic, isn't it? Picture yeah. and name. Yeah. I, at, ho- at, my, at home, my mum and dad's house, have a, a big box full of Pro Stars cards oh. from about 1990. And I'm sure I've got one of you. Please dig that out. I'm going to go home. I'm gonna go, uh, not That's home, worth a trip over the M62. I am a grown-up. Because, you know, you get these guys, these... The, the, I, I, I hesitate to call them lunatics. At games <laughs> who want you to sign all their cards. Yeah. And clearly they are collectors yes and they they have the Everton ones or they have three or four and I always check for the the rotund Hinchcliffe <laughs> after the heavy summer or the that's not actually and every time I say by the way you do know that's not me and you can see them look at the card look at me look at the card I said that's Neil McDonald it's not me and they go are you sure yes I'm pretty sure of what I look like that is not me and how do we don't how how do we know that Neil McDonald isn't the real Andy Hinchcliffe and you're an imposter Oh, this is getting too confusing. It really is. But anyway, there might be a card with Neil McDonald's name on with me. Well, yeah, we need to find that card. Let's, let's find that People card. People of set piece menu, go through your sticker collections. Well, well, with a beautiful piece of symmetry, very recently we had a tweet from the Presswich Marauder. And sh- sorry, that's what I've been frantically searching for whilst you were talking, Chinch, who, who sent us an image or, or, or forwarded on an image of the front, front page of a copy of Match magazine from November... 1990, 50p at the time, Match magazine. And on the front of it, it had a free packet of Panini football stickers for the 1990-91 season. And of the images on the front of this edition of Match magazine, and this is quite literally a rogues gallery, Jamie Hoyland of Sheffield United, Wimbledon's Terry Gibson, Derby's Mick Harford, Liverpool's Peter Beardsley, and alongside Peter Beardsley... Everton's Andrew Hinchcliffe. See, it's not great, but it's not. 
it's not going to keep kids away from the fireplaces. It's not appalling. Phineas Jinch, you are it, a much more handsome man now than I you like were then. To, I like to think so. I like to think so. But that that is one of the better ones. I, I must have seen that one before. I must have seen. That. But anyway, it, it's so that that is a that's a. That is a that is a horrible five-a-side team. It really is, isn't that it? That image, or those images, were being used to promote an edition of Match magazine, and that season's You're Panini sure stickers. it wasn't to put people off? That's extraordinary. If you buy these, this is what you could get, footballers, children. I know people complain about footballers, you know, primping and preening and mm. being a bit sort of, mm. you know, moisturising. Mm. But I, I, they are more, much more attractive now than they used to be. I've actually just noticed something about this image. Maybe it's, maybe that's not being used to publicise. Maybe those are the actual stickers from that packet because oh, I've yeah. noticed it's, it's opened the packet attached to the front of the. the so somebody has opened their free packet of stickers and mm. they got Hoyland, Gibson, Hartford, Beardsley, and Hinchcliffe. That's a poor return for your money, isn't it? But anyway, that's after my big money move from Man City to to Everton. So clearly, I was very much in demand and on people's minds. So that card would have been like gold dust. Andy, thank you ever so much. As always, a glorious soccer story to finish with. Uh, and we leave you with a reminder of how to get in touch at Set Piece Menu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com, facebook.com slash setpiecemenu. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Uh, thanks to Rory. Thanks to Andy. Thanks to Ed. No thanks whatsoever to Hugh. And thank you to you for listening. We'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you and to enjoy very soon indeed. If you were going to have stickers of yourself which period would be a, a bad That's one a, would you say a brilliant question if you had like a five you had five year periods where you could have stickers which would be your student your student days can't no, be good i would avoid anything up to the ages of i'd say between i mean i can't remember is it like a child i don't know what i looked like as a child particularly but i'd say 13 to 20 <laughs> Five. That's quite a, a long time. Yeah, just a complete disaster. Twelve years. Bad haircuts. Fat. It was all. <laughs> it was all. Re- regrettable piercings. It was all. It was really? all. Really. Yeah, above yeah. ground. Very much above oh, ground. Oh, good. Thank too. God for that. Yes, Stephen. Uh, yeah, anything that predates digital cameras, I would suggest, should be oh, immediately yeah, yeah. discounted. I did have horrific. Uh, centre parting curtains at one stage in my <laughs> mid-teens, and and c- combined with combined with acne, I would suggest oh. that that was not a good time for the me. The centre parting in, in curtains it it was and remains the best haircut. It yeah. is the most sensible haircut. But it's it's got to be pulled off with a certain panache no. with which I was. It not works capable. on every face. That's the genius of it. I I'm not sure much, it does. Partic- particularly Paul Nichols. <laughs> I'm pretty much uh, sure I've got some photographic evidence that would suggest it does not work on every face. So I should, I should be consoled by the fact that we would all look fairly horrendous at some point in our lives on a Panini sticker. I think we probably would have all looked horrendous around about the, the 1990-91 era. Just we were trailing a little bit behind you in terms of our development. <laughs> when I was nine. Uh, you can't put a nine-year-old on a Panini sticker. You That's really just sending can't. out there the is, wrong message. There are laws against that.